Hello. Are you all right? Excellent. Um, we are continuing on a series on the heart of Christ towards us, and we're thinking about God's unconditional love. And of course, because it's uh, Remembrance Sunday, um, I'll be thinking about the two together. But I'll begin by reading then from Romans 5, 1 to 11. So if you do want to follow along, uh, grab a Bible from in front of you, if there is one. If there isn't, just listen and enjoy being read to. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if we were God, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled, Shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So there you go. This morning when we had the, uh, the 9.30, um, I began, because we had Cubs and Scouts and all of them kind of people around, uh, and I began by asking a few sort of, Sort of rhetorical questions, you know, what, can you remember what you had for breakfast? Uh, I shared that I had muesli, because my wife makes me have muesli. And, uh, <laughs> so, um, and I said, I said, I bet you all had Cocoa Pops, didn't you? Well, I wish I had Cocoa Pops. Anyway, and, and uh, asked a few things, and talked about how we, we have things, don't we? Uh, so, you know, asking him to remember different things, but pointed out how some things are easy to remember, like our birthdays. I told them my birthday was the 1st of April and that that wasn't a joke. Um, and so uh, it really is. And, um, and I said, sometimes we need things to help us remember, don't we? So we have post-it notes. Um, I'm terrible with post-it notes. So I write on loads of post-it notes and then just they're all over the place. And then eventually I throw them out and I look at them and I'm like, oh, that would have been useful to have known that. And sort of throw them out. But we have different things. And then I made the point that, uh, so we wear poppies, don't we? As, as a means of remembering. It's something that helps us to remember. Poppies help us to remember those who died because of war. And on Remembrance Sunday, we remember, don't we? We remember those who've died in conflict situations, those who fought in the, in the two world wars of the first half of the last century, as well as those who've died in conflicts in more recent times, both the back end of the last century and even in this century. And we remember those who have died. And when we think about that, we, we hear, don't we, countless testimonies, moving testimonies of people who risk their lives, even sacrifice their lives for the sake of others. And I'm going to read you uh, just one such testimony. This is, this is a great book, actually. Tony Campola, Let Me Tell You a Story. 
And there's lots of great little anecdotes in here and, and little stories, so I, I recommend it to you. It's good fun to read. But here is one called A True Friend. Through Jesus, God told us that we were his friends. Some hint of what that friendship might be like is found in a commonly circulated story about a couple of soldiers in World War I. One night, as the struggle settled into trench warfare, a lieutenant commanded his men to sneak across a field and attack the enemy. Obeying the officer's command, the men inched their way out of their safety and began to crawl toward the enemy. Suddenly, gunfire rang out. Bullets flew in almost every direction. The frightened men scurried back to their own trenches as quickly as they could and hunkered down. When the gunfire ceased, it was eerily almost still, except for the moaning and groaning of one of the men who had been left behind on the field, wounded. The man kept crying for his friend George, begging him to come and save him. George, in turn, pled with the young lieutenant to be allowed to go. But the young lieutenant said no over and over again, trying to explain that he didn't want to lose another person in what would be almost certainly a foolhardy rescue attempt. I've lost him, and I don't want to lose you too, the lieutenant shouted. But the young recruit kept pleading, and finally, in exacerbation, the lieutenant said, okay, if you want to get yourself killed. The young soldier sneaked over the edge of the trench and inched his way along the ground, crawled to his friend, grabbed him, and slowly pulled him back to safety. He got his wounded friend back to the trench, and after pushing him over the edge, George fell in on top of him. But it was too late. He was dead. The lieutenant yelled, George, I told you there was no point. Why did you risk your life? George answered, I was no fool. When I got to him, he was still alive. And the last words he said were, George, I knew you'd come. That's what a friend does. And that's what Jesus did for us. In our despair and hopelessness, he left the safety of heaven and came to us. And he took us into his haven of rest. Such stories can move us and they point us, don't they? They point us beyond the story to the truest of friends, Jesus, the one who gave his life for us. Poppies remind us, don't they, of those who've given their lives in conflict. And we have other symbols, don't we? We have the symbols of bread and wine that help us to remember what Jesus did, which is why he used words like remembrance so that we would be able to recall what he did for us and remember him. And so in 1 Corinthians 11, it says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so as we remember today those who have died, and it's good, it's right that we do, God also invites us to remember him. And not only to remember him, but specifically, uh, and in the light of our preaching series, to remember his heart towards us to remember his unconditional love for each and every one of us. He loves us. 
And tonight we get to remember that. And not only do we get to remember that, but by grace we get to appropriate that truth by believing it, by receiving it, by living it out. The Bible tells us that God is love. It's who he is. He doesn't just have a sort of bit of love on the side. Uh, he is love, 1 John 4, 1 John 4, 8 and 16. God is love. And we know, don't we, that the Bible tells us, not just in one or two choice verses, but the whole Bible tells us that God is love. In Exodus 34, Moses has this incredible revelation of the nature and character of God when God proclaims his name in front of Moses. He passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Again, he's abounding in love. Abounding in love. He has it to spare. God is love. And his heart towards us is love. And as we remember his love tonight, we remember that it's a consistent love. 1 Chronicles 16, 34. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. It endures. It's a consistent love, for better, for worse. In the good times and in the bad, it's a consistent love. And as we remember his love, we also remember that it's a powerful love. A powerful and ultimately a victorious love. Song of Songs, chapter 8, verse 6. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. And that fire is the fire of Yahweh. It's the fire of his love. As we remember his love, we remember that it's an eternal love. Not just a consistent, enduring love, but an eternal one. Jeremiah 31 verse 3. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with unfailing kindness. And in Hosea 2 verse 19, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. It's our destiny to know this love of God forever. God's compassionate and his loving heart towards us. And as we remember his love, this love that is his by nature, this love that's consistent, powerful, and eternal, we remember that it's a sacrificial love, as we've already been thinking about. John 15, verse 12 to 13. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And 1 John 3, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So we see what it cost him to love us with this kind of abounding, consistent, eternal love. What it cost, it cost him everything. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It cost the Father everything, everything to love us with that kind of love. It cost Jesus his life that we might know this eternal love that he has for each one of us. And not only does that make us just, you know, incredibly grateful, but also there's a call, a charge on us, isn't there, to love with that same kind of love, that we're told to love our neighbours like ourselves, that we're told to go and do likewise, that we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. 
There is a cost. Leaving aside the whole issue of martyrdom, which many are confronted with now because of their confession of faith, and we've heard of Paul and Becky out in Korea and the work of Open Doors, we'll all find in our daily lives that often what seems to be the right course of action will demand some kind of sacrifice on our part. After all, it's easier to be resentful than it is to forgive. It'd be easy to hold a grudge. And it can be easier to walk past a homeless person on the street than to engage with them and help them in whatever way is appropriate. However, if we choose the path of least resistance, we'll miss the opportunity to partner with God in sharing this incredible unconditional love that he's wanting to not only share with us, but through us to others. There's an Irish singer-songwriter called Brian Houston, and he, he wrote a song. He wrote, On the path of least resistance, there exists no cross of shame, no crown of thorns or sons of God have ever walked this lane. No sickness cured or home for the poor, only justice and hope denied. There's no dignity for souls like me and no Jesus crucified. The path of least resistance. So we need to walk the way of love that can be costly. It can be costly, but it can also be joyful. Saying that love is costly, it's also to emphasize that the experience of love shared can be a source of real joy. Real joy, good, honest fun. And it'd be a travesty, wouldn't it, to dismiss the joys of love in the name of some false religious piety. Sometimes people can embrace the selfless duty of love with actions and feel guilty about tasting the delights of loving as if there's something unseemly or indulgent about it. But the sad truth is if we live our lives believing that being intense somehow makes us more spiritual, then we'll find that in the end, just like the older brother in the parable, we'll become only sour we just won't be a lot of fun to be around. So we need to realize that loving others, just loving, just loving, 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 is kingdom work. It's costly, but it's also joyful. So you're wondering when I'm going to say something about Romans, aren't you? So as we think about this Romans passage, we think about this consistent, eternal, sacrificial love. But we also think about it with a past, a present, and a future dimension. So as we look at those verses, we can see that we can look back and remember, remembering God, remembering his love this evening. We can remember the impact of God's love in the past. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And a few verses later, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And these verses show us why we can think then of God's love being unconditional in the sense that it's not based on human merit. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we've got that amazing example, haven't we, in Luke 15, which is just the best, isn't it? The best chapter ever. Luke 15. The example of the prodigal son who screwed up so royally and he was coming back and the father was already waiting for him and ran to him. And I know sometimes good evangelicals want to kind of really labor the kind of coming to his senses bit, which is important. But when he came to his senses and came to the father, the father didn't run to him knowing that the son had come to his senses because the son was ready with his pre-rehearsed speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
But the father ran to him before he'd had the chance to say that. So the father didn't know what he was going to say. And he ran to him and hugged him anyway. I like what the message says. The message says, uh, when, it, when, the, when the son is giving this speech, in the message it says, but the father wasn't listening. He was planning a party. I like that. And the father runs to him and he embraces him with this unconditional love. The son is, you know, he's messed up so badly. And the rejection, the rejection that the father has experienced because of the son is immense. Not only that, but the son really smells. <laughs> it's just been in a big bem. And that's why this is so countercultural as well. You can think about the example, can't you, of, of a baby. That, you know, babies are great, aren't they? They're so much fun. And when someone's got a baby, you're like, oh, let me have a little cuddle. And it's great. And they're shaking the rattle and they're smiling at you. And yeah. And then they do a poo. <laughs> and then you go, there you go, mummy. And so even since day one, we've been learning the lesson that when we're getting it right, when we're shaking the rattle and we're smiling, we're loved and accepted. But when we make a horrible smell, we're not really accepted anymore. Go over there, please. And the father doesn't care about our smells. That's good news, isn't it? That's a soundbite. That's a sort of a Twitter thing, isn't it? The father doesn't care about our smells. And the father runs to us. And he embraces us with this unconditional love. Before we've even had the chance to say whatever we think we ought to say. The father lavishes this incredible love on us. The truth is that we are not loved by God based on our performance. We're loved because we're loved because we're loved because we're loved. Because we're loved. And I'll give you a loophole if you're really concerned to think that there's some performance involved here. I'll give you this as a sop to you if you're hung up on it. If we're loved based on any performance, it's based on his performance. We're not loved based on our performance, but based on his performance. The one who lived the perfect life, who died for our sins, and we're justified because of what he has done. Not because of what I've done, I was never good enough. I could never make myself right with God. But because of what he's done in his performance, I can be made right with God. While I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. And the mistake we can often make, can't we, is that we're saved by grace. It's all about him. But once we're in, it's like a treadmill. I've got to keep myself in. I've got to keep myself in. I'm being really good today, Lord. But we're saved by grace. And then... We continue to be accepted by grace. We're in the family because we're in the family. I'm not going to chuck Charlotte out of the house because she does something annoying. <laughs> Charlotte's my daughter. You know, she can do some really annoying things. <laughs> but she's my daughter, isn't she? So even when she gets it wrong, I love her. And she's my daughter. And I'm her dad. And even when you get it wrong, you remain his daughter, you remain his son, he remains your dad, who gave his only son for you. He loves you with an overwhelming, consistent, everlasting love. 
sometimes we can think that we, we must be all right with God on a day where we've done something really amazing. And we're like, wow, God, you must be pleased. And I bet he is pleased as well. You know, if you've honoured him and you've, you know, you've turned the other cheek or, you know, you've really blessed someone, I bet he is really pleased. But guess what? He doesn't love you more then than on the day that you did the most shameful, regrettable thing that you ever did. You don't need to think about that because why go there? But if there are moments where you recall something that you really, really regret, God loves you as much there as he loves you on the day where you did the godly thing that you're sure God's pleased with. He loves you in your biggest binge. He loves you in the biggest fallout. And he loves you on the good days too. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you. And obviously that doesn't mean that we, you know, we deliberately, but who would anyway? We're not, we're not trying to make mistakes on purpose, are we? Because that would be weird and silly. But the Bible does say that if we say we have no sin, the truth is not in us. But even as Christians, when we mess up, which we do, if we confess our sins, God promises not only to forgive us, but cleanse us from all unrighteousness because of his amazing love. So we can look back at this amazing love. We can also look around us now and see the impact of God's love now. We can not only remember God's love then, but we can remember in the present moment that God is here and that his love is available to us. And so it says, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. Stuff happens, doesn't it? It can be really hard. We've just sung Waymaker. And God's love can make a way for us when there are things that are coming against us. God's love can break the yoke. God's love can make a way for us. God's love will also give us grace in whatever the circumstance. There's a Christian uh, writer uh, that I like. And he said, uh, let's, he said, let's not even think about good and bad days anymore. He said, let's think of days of grace. And sometimes the grace of God will help you to enjoy what's going on. And sometimes the grace of God will help you to endure what's going on. But there's always grace. It can be easy to think God is in our midst when it's a good day. But the truth is God is in our midst on a bad day. And his grace is there that you can endure. You can come through. However horrible it might seem. You know, I've, I've had lots of bittersweet moments where I've been in something that's been really hard and it hasn't, hasn't suddenly sort of magicked away. But I've known God was with me in the moment. The moment happened. It didn't just suddenly disappear. I was in it. And yet I just had a sense that God was saying, I'm here too. And also that sense that whatever we go through in this world, God has been through it and more. And in a funny, mystical kind of a way, I've sometimes felt when I've gone through some tough things that God had been in that place before I'd even got there, that he'd sort of blazed a trail. You know, when he went through what he went through at Gethsemane and when he was tortured for us and when he died on the cross for us, it's like he went through everything that you would ever go through before you would and more. But when you're in your darkest moment, he's already been there. 
which means he can hold you there, comfort you there, give you grace to endure that moment, that season even. God's grace is available to us. This incredible, unconditional love that can be with us wherever we are. And then finally, this love is not only something that we can remember for the past or the present, but it's something that we can remember the fact that he's coming again. Since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? We can look ahead to Christ's return, that we can know this amazing love forever. And even as I've said, as we take communion and we do that in remembrance of him, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We have to remember that he's coming again. He's coming again. He is coming again. It's not about this time. It's not about this time. We can get so hung up about this time. But it's not about this time. This time goes on for such a short time. It's important, it's important, it's important. But eternity as well, it's eternity. It's our destiny to know this incredible love forever. He will be our inheritance and we will be his inheritance. And we will know this embrace of the Father, the one who wipes away every tear. We will know his embrace forever. We will know the ecstatic bliss of perpetual peace, love without guilt and shame, without fear of rejection, justice, integrity, mercy, everything that's good and holy, we'll know forever. And won't it be glorious? And we have to recall that and live in the light of that. So in this world and in the present, we remember his love. We remember that while we were still sinners, he died for us. We remember that now, whatever we're going through, good, bad, or ugly, his love is there, his grace is there. And we live out each and every passing moment in the light of the fact that he is coming again. He is coming. He is coming. And we will see him fully. And we will know his love. And it will just be amazing. So why don't we stand? There might, be, there might be one or two people I don't know that have never been to a service here before. And um, if that's the case, what we, what we always try and do is when someone shares a sermon, message uh, at the front, we, we try and make space afterwards so that the Holy Spirit can come and enable us to, to take what we've heard and not just, you know, allow our thoughts, our minds to kind of sense to these things but our hearts to be conditioned by the truth of God's word 
And so let's just close our eyes and let's invite God's Holy Spirit to come and to fill us. Father, we ask you through Jesus that you'd pour out your Spirit on us. Holy Spirit, we honour you this evening. And Lord, even in that passage in Romans, it talks about the hope that we have through you, that you bring, you shed abroad in our hearts the love of God. And Holy Spirit, would you come now and fill us, fill us with this love that we've been thinking about.